Hello Saints, Todd here with SafeguardYourSoul.com. Thank you so much for tuning in. We are so blessed to have these moments together in the Word of God. And remember, Saints, there's nothing, there's nothing, no thing happening on God's planet that is even remotely as important as the work of the gospel and feeding the sheep of Jesus Christ for whom he died to save so that they can grow in grace, they can be edified, they can be equipped for the work of the ministry according to the scriptures. And let me just guarantee you this one thing, by the grace of God, this outreach will continue to unapologetically endeavor to preach the whole of the word of God, regardless of who gets offended or not in Jesus name. And please remember that your prayers and support are vital to this operation. Thank you. The Bible says, count it all joy when you fall into diverse or different kinds of temptations, knowing this, that the trial of your faith work in patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect in the time wanting nothing. Now, that is not necessarily our topic tonight. Our topic is something different. But I want to encourage, by the Word of God and the Holy Spirit, people to know that God is working everything, all things together for the good that's happening in your life. He's working all together for your good and His glory. Romans 8.28, for God, it says this. Let me know. Romans 8.28. 29. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God. Do you love God? To them who are called according to his purpose. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. All of these things that are going on in our lives are being used and not necessarily initiated by God or orchestrated by him, but somehow allowed. And they're being used by God to conform us to the image of our Lord Jesus Christ. And anyone who's hearing my voice here and abroad. I want to pray right now in the name of Jesus. And I know that prayer will be effectual, that James 1 will be fulfilled in our lives. So we'll be able to count it all joy when diverse, different kinds of temptations, a variety of temptations, trials come into our lives. My brother, count it all joy. We'll begin to count it joy from within, knowing that our Lord is greater than anything that's coming against us, any lack, any attack. My brother, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith work of patience. Thank God you got faith to be tried. Amen. But let patience have her perfect work. Patience has a work to do in us. Amen. That you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. You know, I've shared with people as a personal testimony that I don't worry too much anymore because I guess I just wore my worrier out with everything that's come against me over the last several years. My worrier, if you will, if there's any such thing inside of me, got worn out to where it's just like, hey, you know what? God's brought me this far. He's not going to leave me leave me hanging now. Amen. Job 5.22 says, at destruction and famine thou shalt laugh. Joy, you'll laugh at it. At destruction, you're going to laugh because God's your protector. He's your pro- And at famine, you're going to laugh because the joy of the Lord is your strength and God's your provider. Amen? All right, I just wanted to start off with that. In the world, ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I hope come to I hope come to That's what Jesus promised. John 16, 33. I want to encourage you to memorize some of the scriptures. Put them on index cards, King James, with the reference, and begin memorizing them. And that's when they're going to become real and meaningful and fully more fully revealed in your life. When you begin to memorize scriptures, something happens on the inside. Something happens that will never happen outside of really letting your heart retain God's words according to the instruction we have in Proverbs 4.4. What we're going to talk about here is the law versus grace. The law of Moses versus the new covenant. The new covenant. Yeah, this is a grand topic of the New Testament. There are a lot, a lot of scriptures, particularly there's a concentration of scriptures concerning the law of Moses uh, versus the new covenant. There's two different covenants. We're now under the new covenant. Some people act like we're still under the old, which we're going to get into here in a minute, but we're under the new covenant. We're ministers actually of the New Testament. According to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6, Jesus told us in Matthew 26 concerning his covenant that he was making, I believe, with the Father. Let's just read the verse. How about that? For this is my blood of the New Testament of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. This is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for the remission of sins. So we know there's a New Testament. That's right here. That's a term used in this verse. And it was purchased by the blood of Jesus. But what is the New Testament? What does it include? How is it different from the old? Are we still under the old? What requirement do we have in keeping Old Testament uh, moral law or ceremonial law? 
That's a big question. This is a huge thing in the body of Christ. It always has been from the early days of Christianity, because Christianity came out of Judaism, and it is today. And it's an increasing. I see a lot of Christian people that are otherwise wonderful Christians. I've got friends that some of them, to different degrees, are getting sucked into things that I believe are being very detrimental. Now, this isn't me concerned about it as much as it is God. Paul was extremely concerned about this, and to say it lightly, and he warned over and over and over to beware of the Incision. Look at Philippians chapter 3. Let's look at Philippians chapter 3. And beginning in verse 1 of Philippians chapter 3, finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. Amen. We're to rejoice in the Lord. Don't just read over that. Meditate on that. We're to rejoice not in the Torah or in the law. They did nothing but reveal Christ. It's all about Christ. Amen. Not about the words. It's about who the words reveal. Amen. Jesus said, search the scriptures for in them you think you have eternal life, but they are they which testify of me. He told his own people. He told the Jews that. Search the scriptures. In them you think you have eternal life. In keeping of them without a relationship with me, you think you have eternal life. But those very scriptures, when you turn to me, I'm going to open your eyes. And those very scriptures reveal me. And you've missed me. And so you've missed everything. These things are written so that we may know him and that we may believe on him. John 20, 31. So the apostle Paul here says, finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. Amen. Rejoice in the Lord. You get it? In the Lord Jesus Christ, the person, the divine person of the Son of God. Rejoice in Him. To write the same things to you, to me indeed, is not grievous, but for you it is safe. Now let's talk about that. To write the same things to you, uh, to me indeed, is not grievous. Paul's writing again some of the same things he had already warned him about and talked to him about. That's why in our books, sometimes we repeat the same scriptures. When you finish reading the books, there's scriptures in some cases that are repeated so that when you get through that book, you've read that scripture three or four times in some cases, and that's starting to become impressed upon your memory. God forbid, right? It's starting to get in you. Amen. The Bible says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. The word of God, you could feed on the same chapter or verse every day for the rest of your life and see a deeper dimension and get blessed by it every single time. Because God has inspired his word and he's infinite and his word has so much dimension and depth to it. Praise God. So Paul wrote, some of the same things that he already wrote to these people in order to keep them safe, the Philippian believers. God is intent upon keeping us safe. And what we're going to talk about tonight is for our instruction from the Lord. He's our only teacher. He's going to lead us and guide us into all truth through his word so that we can be kept safe. What's important to God and what's not? Jesus talked about the weightier matters of the law. That means there were also matters of a law that weren't as weighty. There are more important. What's important in your life? What does God require of you? What is he looking for in your life? What does he want to do? What does he want the relationship between you and him to be like? Verse two, beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the concision. This is verse two of Philippians three. This is a severe warning about the circumcision. Let me read this little note here in the Life in the Spirit Study Bible. It's pretty short, but I think it'll help us to see what Paul is talking about here in the scripture. We're concentrating on looking into the scripture. So we're following Nehemiah 8.1, the model, the divinely ordained model there. We read the scripture and we talk about what the scripture says. What does it mean to beware of the dogs, evil workers, and the concision? What does that mean? If I don't know what that means, then I don't know what to be aware of. And by the way, the reason why I like this study Bible is this fella that wrote this. He was a missionary. He's dead now. He was non-OSAS. In other words, he believed in the biblical revelation of a conditional eternal security as opposed to an unconditional. Also, he was Holy Ghost filled and he believed in the full manifestation of the Spirit of God and power to reveal Christ and in the gifts of the Spirit, etc. So he was squared up in truth. He writes this about this verse, Philippians verse, chapter 3, verse 2. He says, speaking of dogs, evil workers, and concision. That's what we're totally aware of here. Paul's greatest trial was the grief he felt and experienced because of those who distorted the gospel of Christ. His love for Christ, the church, and redemptive truth was so strong that it drove him to oppose fervently those who perverted pure doctrine, describing them as dogs and evil workers. The term concision, he writes, means mutilation and is Paul's term for the rite, R-I-T-E, of Jewish circumcision as taught by the Judaizers who claimed it was necessary for salvation. Paul states that true circumcision is a work of the Spirit of God in the heart of the person. 
when sin and evil are cut away. The physical circumcision that was required of all Jewish men under the Old Covenant was a mere foreshadowing of what God has done under the New Covenant to create in us a clean heart, to make us new creatures in Christ, to regenerate us and cut away the filth of the flesh. That's done not by the hands of men on the physical body, but by the Spirit of God in the heart of man. Amen? Listen to this, verse 3. Philippians 3 3. For we are the circumcision which worship God in the Spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus. Who do we rejoice in? Christ Jesus. And have no confidence in the flesh. No confidence in any fleshly thing that's been done to us, anything we wear, any day we observe, or any ordinance that we might observe. We rejoice in Christ, who became the manifest substance of what those merely foreshadowed under the old covenant. I got news for you. The old covenant has been nailed to the cross. It's obsolete. I don't mean that we don't have principle and truth there, but what is most important for the New Testament believer is what is reinstated in the New Covenant scriptures, the New Testament scriptures, in the 27 books of the New Testament. And whatever carried over is what is important. Not trying to go back under the law, which was completely inferior to the New Covenant, and it wasn't ratified by the blood of Jesus because he hadn't come yet. Some people try to look at New Testament Christianity through the lens of the old. That's ridiculous. We look at the old through the lens of the new, which is a much, much better covenant. The scripture tells us in the eighth chapter of the book of Hebrews, which we'll go over to right now, Hebrews chapter eight. And for your information and for your study, I want to encourage you to study Hebrews eight through 10, Hebrews eight, nine, and 10. This is all about the difference and the contrast between the old and the new covenant. We're going to start in Hebrews chapter eight, beginning in verse one. And Hebrews eight, verse one says, now of the things which we have spoken, this is the sum. Here's the summation. We have such an high priest. Now, we just finished reading. Let's back up a little bit into the seventh chapter. Oh, man. Wow. He contrasts the priesthood of Melchizedek and how Christ's priesthood is superior. Amen. There's no one who trumps the most high God. His name is Jesus Christ, my friend. And he's been manifested in the flesh. Amen. He already died on the cross to buy us back to God and to give us untold benefits in this so great a salvation that he wrought. God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, the scripture says, buying you and I back who were sold into sin and brought into the family of God. And the rich blessings of God under the new covenant are untold. They're absolutely incredible. How shall we escape, Paul argues, or the writer of Hebrews, I should say, how shall we escape eternal judgment if we neglect so great a salvation? God is not pleased when we neglect any of the full benefits, the incredible myriad of benefits that were purchased by the blood of Christ. And you know, as we're getting ready to read Jesus, what he died to purchase, he lives to provide as he makes intercession for us at the right hand of the Father. Amen. Beginning in uh, chapter 7 of Hebrews, verse 15. And it is yet far more evident for that after the similitude of Melchizedek, there ariseth another priest who is made not after the law of the cardinal commandment, but after the power of endless life. Oh, the power of an infinite, endless divine life. Amen. Amen. That's Jesus. For he testifieth, thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. For there is verily a disannoying of the commandment, going before for the weakness and unprofitableness thereof. Oh, wait a minute. Hmm. There's a disannoying of the Old Testament commandments or the law. See, the Bible says in Romans 10, 4, lest I be misunderstood here, that Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believes. Now, in the same book, Romans 15, 4, the Bible tells us that whatsoever things were written aforetime, referring to the Old Testament scriptures in particular, were written for our learning that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope, but it's not for righteousness. There's no need to try to keep the Ten Commandments. We'll get into that in a minute. To be righteous, trying to keep the Ten Commandments to be righteous is not going to, first of all, you can't keep them. They were, the law was weak through the flesh. We're going to read in a little while here in Romans 8, or trying to keep the ordinance for righteousness or as if they have any value is not of God. Verse 16 of Hebrews 7, who is made what? Not after the law of a carnal commandment, but after the power of an endless life. See, Jesus came in the volume.
volume of the book in which it was written, he's already come. Those words merely foretold and prefigured what Christ, who was going to be manifest, and now he has been manifest 2,000 years ago. He came to the world. If you've seen him, you've seen the Father. Then he died and ratified the new covenant in his precious, perfect blood, ending the need for any further sacrifice. Verse 17, Verse Hebrews 7. 7. For he testifies, thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek, for there is verily a disannoying of the commandment going before for the weakness and unprofitableness thereof. The Old Testament was what? Weak and unprofitable. Go ahead. Amen. For the law. It was merely a schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. Christ. But Christ has already come, right? Right. That's the last time I checked. He said it is finished on the cross. Paid in full. Go ahead, bro. For the law made nothing perfect, but the bringing in of a better hope did, by which we draw nigh unto God. Oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Now, he's contrasting the Old and New Testament. And he said the law made nothing perfect. It was very temporal and it was very imperfect and it needed to be replaced. God designed it to be replaced and his son replaced it. But the bringing in of a what? A better hope. The new covenant's called a better hope. Did. It brought perfection. See, for the law, verse 19, Hebrews 7, made nothing perfect, but the bringing in of a better hope did. It did what? It made things perfect because it was purchased by the blood of the perfect Son of God. Amen. By the which we draw nigh to God. How do we draw nigh to God? Through Christ, through the better hope, through Jesus Christ, the one who is being shown here as superior to Melchizedek and the old covenant. That's how we draw near to God. We don't draw near to God by going and trying to participate in rituals and, and ceremonies that were a mere foreshadowing of Christ. Why? Listen, listen, let, let me talk to you about something. Let me ask you gentlemen out there. Let me ask you gentlemen something out there to listen to me right now. And those here also. Let's uh, paint a little picture here of, of what some people are doing. Let me ask you a question. If if you were dating a lady that you loved, I mean, you just adored her and she loved you, but let more, more focus on this. You love this woman. She's the woman of your dreams. And that great, and you live in another city from her. And so you relish those beautiful pictures of that beautiful lady and her pretty brown eyes or whatever, and just the love beaming off of her face, this beautiful bride that you're anticipating marrying and you're getting to know, and then you get engaged to her and then you marry her. And so you move together. She moves to your state and now you're together having been apart and so longing for one another. And then what are you going to do after you marry this lovely bride? Are you going to sleep with her picture? Are you going to sleep with her? See, that's what a lot of people are doing under the new covenant, that they've been deceived by Judaizers and they're they're sleeping with the picture, if you will, figuratively. They're relishing the, the shadow when the substance has already come. Do you see what I mean? The substance has already come. Jesus already came and the law and those ceremonies merely pointed to him. That's the only value they had is that they pointed to him. It's all about him. It's all about Jesus Christ. And all of these things that people are being enticed to participate in are doing nothing but drawing people away and their affections away from the Lamb of God, which they're antichrist. They're in place of Christ. They had their place in the past, but that was only until Jesus came and died, as we're going to read about, the testator of the new covenant. Jesus Christ. He's been manifested. Stop sleeping with the picture and go sleep with your wife. Is that a clear picture? Why are you worried about the picture? You got her right there in your house. You're married to her. But you're not going to, you're going to sleep in another bedroom? That's what a lot of people are doing. They're sleeping in another bedroom. They're not coming together like God ordained for man and wife to do. And intimacy is a picture of him, the bridegroom, and his bride, the church. They're still trying to sleep with a picture. Get rid of the picture. She's now there. Wake up. You married her. You're blessed. You got the woman of your dreams. Amen. Amen. Let me say Mark 2 21. No man also soweth a piece of new cloth on an old garment, else a new piece that filled it up taketh away from the old, and, and the rent is made worse. Oh, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. This is the contrast between the old and the new covenant. Read that again. Mark 2 21. No man also soweth a piece of new cloth on an old garment, else the new piece that filled it up taketh away from the old, and the rent is made worse. So talk about that. And the new- even verse 22. Yes. And no man putteth new wine into old bottles, else the new wine doth burst the bottles, and the wine is spilled, and the bottles will be marked. But the new wine must be put into new bottles. New wine must be put into new bottles. And that's why this discussion in the scriptures is so important, because we've got to become that new bottle, and we've got some transformed thinking. And I tell you what, it's going to give a lot of people, especially Gentile Christians, a lot of confidence 
A lot of Gentile Christians have been robbed in their own minds of thinking that they're not sufficient. They don't understand all of the things under the old covenant because they're not Jews and all that. That is going to be completely dispelled before this series is over. That is going to be completely dispelled. New wine must be put into new bottles. New wine must be put into new bottles. Mark chapter 2, verse 21 and 22. I encourage you to study that. Now, I wrote something down a little while ago. I want to read to you. I believe it's right. Pretty good. Now, we're talking about the old and the new covenant contrast. What are the differences? What are we still under? Are we under the new covenant? Are we still under the old covenant? How does all this work out? Let me read this to you. Judaization, which Paul warned over and over and over about, especially in Romans and Galatians. And in the book of Hebrews, we read a lot about that. Judaization is a glory-robbing lie. It's designed to bring people under an obsolete covenant. It's designed by the devil to bring people under an obsolete or under the practice of an obsolete covenant. If you don't think the law is obsolete, you will if you have an honest heart by the time we finish this series. They would rather hold on to a mere obsolete, done away with picture or shadow of what has already been made fully manifested in the death of the testator himself, as Hebrews says, just Christ. I love Romans eleven thirty six. For of him and through him and to him are all things. Blessed be the name of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. That's what the angels are crying now and will throughout all eternity as we read in Revelation chapter 4, verse 11. Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory. Did it say the law was worthy? Excuse me. Some people make a God out of the law, just like the Pharisees Jesus rebuked in John 5, 39. They could not see Christ because they made a God or they didn't see who he was through the scriptures. And the reason why they couldn't see is because they wouldn't turn their heart to him because it's all about him. If we don't understand that our life, our whole life, period, is all about Jesus and knowing him, We've missed everything, and we're not even saved, just like the Jews weren't, that Jesus dealt with over and over in the Gospels. I don't care if you memorize the whole Bible. If you're not going to seek God with your spirit and with your heart and with the affections of your heart, you don't know him, and you never will, and you're on your way to the lake of fire. You might as well go have fun. Why play religion? There's a question. What bridegroom would dare to sleep with his bride's picture when she is in the same house now that they are married? Paul said we've been espoused to Jesus Christ, to one husband in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. This is exactly what is being done by the concision, the Judaizers, that we are warned so often about in the New Testament scriptures. With all certainty, the New Testament believer, by the way, that's what you are if you're born again, you're a New Testament believer, beloved. And with all certainty, the New Testament believer can know that there is an antichrist spirit behind this evil dissimulation, this corruption of Judaization, and it's leading many away from Christ, as the scriptures so often revealed. And we'll pick up in part two on this one. God bless you. And feel free to visit for your learning and edification, safeguardyoursoul.com. It's there to bless you in uh, lots of audio, study guides, articles, and other things that believe will be a blessing to you. God bless you. What must be remembered about all false doctrine, no matter what flavor, no matter who it's coming from, is that it is that which is subverting the glory of Jesus Christ. It's there to rob glory from Jesus Christ. As we read all over the New Testament in Colossians 2, 18 and 19 talks about the law and the ordinances, all that, and how Jesus nailed that all to the cross, and that those, including the dogs we read about earlier, that's what Paul calls them, dogs. We're to beware of dogs, evil workers, and the concision. That's what they do. They want to steal the glory from Jesus Christ and get the affections of people's heart, God's children, directing the affections of their hearts away from Christ onto something else that was merely a shadow of what he is now the substance. He is the Savior. He's manifested. He's here. He is the Son of God with power, the Scripture says, having been raised from the dead by his Father. Hallelujah. Romans chapter 1, verse 4. Glory to God. Revelation 4.11. Thou art worthy, O Lord. He is the one who came and is to be glorified in the volume of the book in which it is written. Jesus isn't paper and ink. He is a divine person of the Son of God. And he's to be worshipped how? 
in spirit and in truth. I'm also going to read to you 1 Corinthians 5, 8, which is probably going to be something we talk about more than once. But I love this. It says this, 1 Corinthians 5, 8. Therefore, let us keep the feast. What feast? A lot of folks trying to keep Old Testament feasts, Jewish feasts, as if that has any value. Therefore, Paul says, therefore, let us, the Jew of all Jews, next to Jesus, Paul, therefore, let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, neither with the leaven, that's the Old Testament leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. See, we're to worship God in spirit and in truth. With open face, the Bible says, in speaking of this very matter, with open face, but we all with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, the manifested Lord Jesus Christ. Go from glory to glory. Amen. Second Corinthians chapter three, verse 18. We're to beware, beloved, of dogs, evil workers, and the concision. Philippians 3, 1 through 3. We're the circumcision, but it's a circumcision made without hands. It's not a physical thing. It's done by God himself in the heart of men. Philippians 3, 1 through 3. And we rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh or what the flesh is able to perform or do, keep the law or to keep the ceremonies of the law or anything else. Again, Philippians 3, 3, you should memorize it. We are the concision, which worship God in the spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus. And have no confidence in the flesh. Amen. Uh, Revelation chapter 5, verse 12, saying with a loud voice. I'm going to start in verse 9. And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation, and hast made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. Verse 12, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb, not the law, but the Lamb, that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. Verse 13, blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him, Jesus Christ, that sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb forever and ever. Amen. It's all about Jesus. The New Testament is all about Jesus. Your life in Christ, your life as a child of God is all about knowing and worshiping and loving Jesus Christ. And anything that comes to distract or draw away the affections of your heart, even feigning to be biblical, is antichrist. It's something that's coming in place of you loving the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and worshiping Jesus in spirit and in truth. I want you to pray over those things and let the Lord give you understanding. Jesus said, the Father seeketh such to worship him. They that worship the Father must worship him, not by the letter of the law, but in spirit and in truth. Now, we are going to pick back up in Hebrews chapter 7, because we were going to look at chapter end of chapter 7 and 8, 9, and 10. But Romans, I love Romans 2, 28, for he is not a Jew, which is one outwardly. Remember we just talked about that in Philippians 3, about the circumcision under the new covenant. It's God doing a work in a man's heart, giving him a new heart, like he prophesied under the old covenant. It's now being filled every time somebody's born again. That's the greatest miracle. Amen. Ezekiel 36. 26, I will sprinkle clean water upon you and I'll give you a new heart. I'll take away the heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Amen. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away and all things become new. This is the miracle of being born again, the new birth. Titus 3, 5 and 6, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. How? By the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. God does a renewing, a complete change inside of us taking away the heart of stone and giving us a heart of flesh. When somebody's born again, they're a new creature in Christ. Their whole life is different. They're full of the love of God. They've got the joy of the Lord. They love the truth. They seek God. They walk with God. They want more of him. Amen. Now, Romans 2, 28, for he is not a Jew, which is one outwardly by outward performance, by what he wears, by trying to keep obsolete, abolished. Yeah, that's good. These long, some of these young guys wearing these beards. I don't know why, but anyway, maybe it's their style. I'm not sure, but you know, for he is not a Jew, which he is not a child of God or a Jew, which is one outwardly. Neither is that circumcision, which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew, which is one inwardly. And circumcision is that under the new covenant. Circumcision is what? That of the heart. 
in the spirit and not in the letter. Does that give it summation or what? Whose praise is not of men, but of God. Whose praise is not of men. Here, look at me. I'm keeping all these things. I'm, you know, wearing my long robe. I'm going to this little festival and foolishness. Whose praise is not of men, but of God. Listen to the note here in this Life in the Spirit study Bible. It says concerning circumcision being of the heart and the spirit. This refer, he writes this, this refers to God's work of grace in the hearts of believers, whereby they partake of the divine nature and become capable of living a pure life separated from sin for the glory of God. Thus, holy living becomes the outward sign that we are under the new covenant. Amen? I was going to say Galatians 6.12, as many as desire to make a fair show in the flesh, they constrain it to be circumcised unless they should suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. That's really good. Now read that again. That's Galatians 6. 6.12. As many as desire to make a fair show in the flesh, Flesh, they constrain you to be circumcised, only lest they should suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. They constrain, they compel people. These are Judaizers that Paul warred against that were compelling people to, to do things on the outward that were under the old covenant in order to be made righteous. Now, is this a serious matter or not? Well, if you look in Galatians, and that's right where Aaron was reading, Galatians 5, 4, what does that say? You think this is serious? Yeah. Wow. It, it's your salvation. Salvation is in jeopardy. And that's why it's important for believers to understand this subject. I'm telling you, there is so much scripture on this subject. The book of Romans, the book of Galatians, the whole book of Galatians, the book of Hebrews are, those are, these are doctrinal letters, especially Romans and Hebrews. And the truth, the biblical, the divine truth revealed is so very, 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 cannot be overemphasized or too often underscored how important it is for you as a born again believer to understand this subject. Now, Listen to Galatians 5, 4. Christ is become, Paul says, of no effect unto you. All that he did is does not apply. It is not appropriated by you. Why? Whosoever of you, who does it not apply to? Who does the blood of Christ not apply to? And this is people that have already been saved in the past, but put aside Christ for law keeping. You see, every false doctrine and none more than the concision of the Judaizers has come to take away, to intercept the glory from the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who bled on Calvary to die to bring every Jew and every Gentile to, to him, to the Father. Every single lie, every falsehood, every false doctrine is designed by Satan who's come to steal, kill, and destroy, and who knows that his time's short, and so he's come down with great wrath. It's designed to steal the glory from the person of the nail-scarred, risen Savior to whom all glory is due to him alone. The Bible says, let him that glory in the Lord, not the law, not not the ceremony, not what you eat or wear, not where you go on Saturday, but in the Lord. And if you miss that, you just like the Jews in the Gospels, you missed it all and you do not know the Lord. And God's calling you to repent and put all your trust in Christ because you're not saved. You might have been in the past, like these Galatians who fell from grace, which we're getting ready to read. And before we read that, 1 Corinthians 1, 29 and 31, that no flesh should glory in his presence, that according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in who? The Lord. The Lord. Not the law, not the letter of the law, but in the, the Lord that is revealed through the law and through the word of God. Amen? If you miss Christ, you missed it all and you're not even saved. This is a wake-up call and this is going to, I believe, lead this message preached by many, the Lord willing, like Paul preached it. May God bless it to bring many who have backslidden, who have fallen away from the Lord, trusting something else but Christ, come to repentance and return to the Lord. Galatians 5, 4. Under scoring, listening, if you will, having ears to hear the importance and the severity of what we're talking about here. This isn't a joke. This is for everything. This is for your eternal soul. Galatians 5, 4, who Christ has become of no effect unto you, whosoever of you are justified by the law, for you are fallen from grace. They had fallen from grace. They had gone back to the Old Testament law keeping and ordinances to try to be righteous. And they had fallen from grace. Now, how can you fall from grace if you're not already in grace? They were saved. This letter is written to the Galatian church. There's no getting around that. Look at chapter 3, 1 through 3. Oh, foolish Galatians. Paul, God, through Paul, calls them fools. Oh, foolish Galatians. Who has bewitched you? You see, because you are saved and spirit-filled doesn't mean you can't 
or aren't right now under the spirit of witchcraft. O foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you or put a spell of witchcraft on you using Judaization? And this is all operated by devils. Some call them demons. I call them devils. That's the King James word. Okay. That's the agents of Satan, the fallen angels. Satan is involved here. O foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you or put you under witchcraft that you should not obey the truth, the truth of the gospel, that you're justified by Christ alone and you're created and redeemed to worship him in spirit and in truth. Amen. Then it says, before whose eyes, Jesus Christ, who? Jesus Christ, the grand subject of all of scripture is Jesus Christ. And if you've missed him, you've missed everything and you're not saved. Your whole life should be about fearing, loving, and worshiping the person, the divine person of Jesus Christ in spirit and in truth. Amen. Before whose eyes, the eyes of the Galatians, Jesus Christ hath been evidently or clearly prescribed and announced, set forth, crucified among you. Jesus Christ and his grace that saved you, that made the provision for your salvation was evidently set before you, clearly set before you, set forth, crucified among you. But yet who is it, he's saying, that has bewitched you, that you should not obey the truth after Jesus Christ was manifested before you in their preaching and by his spirit. Verse 2, Galatians 3, this only would I learn of you. Receive ye the spirit, the Holy Spirit, by the works of the law? Did all of you get the spirit of God in you by trying to keep the law? Are you kidding me? Or by the hearing of faith? Listen, friend, under the new covenant, everything comes by faith. You're not saved unless you put your faith, you repent, you turn to God and put your trust, your faith in Jesus Christ. How many times have we read? It's not by works of righteousness. Also, for by grace are you saved through faith. And that is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works as any man should boast. Cool. We're justified by faith. Romans 5.1. And Galatians 5.6. For in Jesus Christ, neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision, but faith, which worketh by love. Oh, wait a minute. Faith works by what? Love. Uh-huh. Loving God. Loving God. That's loving God. And so you love him and you put your faith in him. He's the one that all of the word of God points to. Don't stop short of knowing and loving and moving daily and momentarily more and more in the intimate love with Jesus Christ. Or you've missed everything. Now in verse three, he uses again the word foolish. How many people want God calling them a fool? If you don't want God calling you a fool, then you need to stop trusting in anything else other than Jesus Christ. The Alpha and the Omega, Revelation 1.8, who is the beginning and the end, the first and the last, who was and who is and who is to come. When all all else has fallen, when all else is swept away, when all else crumbles, one, even Jesus Christ will be standing and those that are in him, only those that are in him, not those that are religious, not that those that are trying to work their way through Old Testament ordinances or keeping the law. No, 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 no. Those that are in Christ by faith. Amen. This is the work of God that you believe on his son. John chapter six, verse 29. We have access to this grace through faith. You can't be saved outside of the grace of God that has appeared to all men. And we have access to the grace of saving grace of God through faith. Romans 5, 1 and 2. The Bible tells us in Hebrews eleven six 6, that without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him to know him and seek him. Don't try to be obedient enough to earn or merit his salvation, but put your faith in him, realizing that you're ungodly outside of him, and you trust him that justifies the ungodly. Amen? That's what we read in Romans 4, 4, and 5. I'll tell you what, you want to get set free? One of the, down to the core, the heart of the matter is right here in Romans 4, 4, and 5. You've got to understand this, and the Lord give you understanding in this thing. According to 2 Timothy 2, 7, the Lord give you understanding in all things, and including in this matter that we're talking about at hand. Romans 4, 4, and 5. Now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned. If you're trying to work for your salvation, if you're trying to earn the merit of Christ. If you're trying to be good enough, like the Galatians, you were once saved, and now you're going back to law keeping and trying to do all these ordinances and wasting your time at God's and everybody else's. That does nothing, by the way, but fosters pride and arrogance in people, making them think they're better Christians or they're more righteous than other people. That's ridiculous. None of us have even an iota of righteousness outside of Jesus Christ, who has been made our righteousness. That's why our faith and our trust must go in Him. He alone must be the object of all of our worship and the infections of our hearts, the first 
first commandment says, thou shalt have no other gods before me. How do you think the wife feels if her husband that she's now married to is clinging to her picture? That's an idol. He's not loving her. He's loving her picture. As stupid as that might sound, that's what people are doing when they go hug the picture of the Old Testament ordinances instead of with open face and heart and hands lifted high, worshiping Jesus Christ with all their being. There's no difference. Romans 4, 4 and 5. Now to him that worketh is the reward, salvation, not reckoned of grace, but of debt. You're still in debt. You're in debt to God and you cannot pay. That's why Jesus came to pay it. And unless you put all your trust in him, repent and turn all the way to the Lord, you will not be saved. You're still in debt to God. You see, we owe a debt that we cannot pay. He paid a debt that he did not owe. And if you're going to be right with God, it's going to be only in Christ. God says this, the Father said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased over and over in the gospel when Jesus was on the earth. If you're in Christ, you're well pleasing to God. If you're trying to keep the law, trying to be good enough in any fashion or any curriculum or any falsehood that you might be following, then you're not right with God. You're not in Christ. You've denied Christ. You brazenly and openly denied the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And you trampled on the foot the blood of the Son of God by spitting in the face of the Father, saying that you're righteous in some other way other than through his only begotten Son, the only one that he's well pleased in. For to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. And you can't be saved outside of the grace of God, period. Verse 5, Romans 4. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him, God the Father, that justifieth the ungodly. That's you, my friend. That's me outside of Christ. So, but to him that worketh not, don't try to work for your salvation. Give up. Rest in him who is our Sabbath with a capital S, Jesus Christ. But to him that worketh not, but believeth, trust, faith, on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Think about the thief on the cross. He put his faith in Jesus at the last minute. You know, a lot of people in their right observe that he had it easy, man. He put his faith in Christ and died, boom, in his last breath. And man, he's in paradise. He's in heaven with Jesus forever now. Isn't that wonderful? You know, we get saved and God keeps us on this earth to be fruitful and to do a work in us. And so we get to know him and lead others to him. And, you know, we have the responsibility of enduring to the end, living by faith. And some of us need to return back to God by faith. We've backslidden. We're trusting something else. We're falling away like the Galatians who he said were foolish because they had begun in the spirit. And then now they're made perfect in the flesh. They had begun being born again by the spirit of God and worshiping God in spirit and in truth, which is the only worship God honors. And now they had turned back to the weak and beggarly elements of the law. God forbid. Read the book of Galatians, friend. Read the book of Galatians, but pray before you do it. And by the way, if you've been under messianic Jewish influence, I want you to get before God. I want you to turn with all your affections of your heart and all your being to the Lord and ask him to clean out anything that does not belong and bless you to worship him in spirit and in truth. According to John 4, 23 and 24. And we'll pick that up on the next segment. God bless you. All right. Now, this is an extremely important subject. It's all over the New Testament. The subject, really, the governing truth that we have to cling to is that Jesus Christ is the head of the body. And it's only by exalting him in spirit and in truth that we worship the Father and we're truly worshiping God. Otherwise, we're not. And it's only then that God chooses to dispense the glory of his virtue into his body to bless and make healthy every single joint and down to the marrow and the sinews of the bone, all the body. You know, we're the body of Christ and the virtue of heaven only flows to the body and through the body to bring God's health, which is the only health that could be. It only happens, that only happens when Christ is exalted. We're going to get into Colossians 2 in depth, but let me just read this to you. Colossians 2, 18 and 19. Let no man beguile you of your reward. That's Christ. He's your reward. In a voluntary humility, people trying to compare Tell you to go keep Old Testament shadows and types and stuff. Hey, man, don't let anybody rob you. Christ has already come, man. What are you doing worshiping a shadow and going through the motions of a shadow 
though, when the substance is already there. What are you doing sleeping with your wife's picture when she's already you're already married to her and she's in the other room lonely? How do you think God feels that you're worshiping a picture instead of open-faced and open-heartedly with hands lifted high worshiping him who bled on Calvary to buy you back to God? What are you doing spitting in the face of the Almighty who sent his only begotten Son and trampling underfoot the blood of the Son of God? Let no man beguile you of your reward. Your reward is Jesus Christ. The Bible says he's the exceeding great reward. Genesis 15.1. Memorize it. Jesus, the Lord Almighty, is the our exceeding great reward. Amen? That's what Abraham was told. He's the father of faith. We read about it in the New Testament. It's by faith that we're justified and that we have this great reward, this incredibly infinite, magnificent, wonderful Savior, Jesus Christ. He is our reward. He said, my reward is with me. I believe it's 22.12 of Revelation. It's with him. The reward, the only reward you can have is Christ being with him. Let no man beguile in light of this. In light of what? Let no man beguile you of your reward. In light of this, what do you mean? Like He's just talking about in the verses before that, in the first chapter, that Jesus Christ created all things and all things are upheld by him. He's everything. He's infinite. Let no man beguile you in light of this, of your reward and of voluntary humility and worshiping of angels and intruding into those things which he hath not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind. These people, these Judaizers are vainly puffed up by their fleshly mind and not holding the head, capital H-E-A-D. They're not holding the head. They're drawing your attention away. That's what false prophets do. That's what false teachings are designed to do. These are uh, doctrines of devils, and they're operated by seducing spirits to cause men to depart from the truth and the faith. That's all wrapped up right there in 1 Timothy 4.1. Satan has come down with great wrath. The scripture tells us, Revelation 12.12, knowing that his time is short. The Bible tells us to be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. The devil is actively seeking your soul, if you're a born-again Christian, to bring you under the constraint of the law and to compel you to trust in something else except for the head of the church, the one who bought you. Let me ask you something. Does that leader that's seducing you, if you realize that now, you're beginning to, but does any leader have nail-scarred hands and feet? No, only Jesus does. He's the only one who bled on the cross for your sins. He's the only one that is your salvation. You know, there's a thing in the news and it has been continually over the last, well, forever in the New Testament, men falling, men in leadership, supposedly Christian leaders. And people, you know, are so blinded and so seduced by the spirit that was behind, that witchcraft that was behind that leader, that they're, you know, they're being interviewed and said, oh no, we don't believe that. Our bishop, we know he's a man of God. These people are deluded. And when they finally do realize, which won't be long, that the man really was doing those sins that he's being accused of, and I'm not condemning, I'm, I'm just pointing something out here, that those people are looking to that man. And it's unfortunate that they don't realize because he's a wolf and he didn't teach him this from the word, that he's nothing and Christ is everything. He didn't foster the love of God in them. He fostered the, the love of himself in them. In other words, he endeared them and ingratiated them unto himself, not Christ. Paul said, and he's a true servant of God. He said that I've espoused you to one husband. That's what a true servant does. He announces before the people periodically and regularly that he's nothing. Paul said this, we don't preach ourselves. We preach not ourselves, but Christ, man, for our sufficiency is of God. There's no good thing he said that dwells in us, in me. Amen. Oh, wretched man that I am, Paul said, hello, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? If you get shot because you find out a man sins, there's something wrong with that. I don't care what leader it is that you love and think is the most wonderful person in the world. I got news for you. He sinned before God at some time after he got saved. I'm not saying he should have sinned. I'm not saying that it's good that he sinned. I'm just giving you a reality check. You better get your eyes on Jesus. You better repent of your idolatry of a mere man. The Bible tells us in Psalm 39, 5, that all men, every man in his altogether best state is what? Altogether vanity. Amen. We should be so closely associated with Jesus Christ that people have no one to attack except him when they come to us, trying to put a label on us. We should be so identified with him and so in love with him. Amen. So verse 19, and not holding the head, these false teachers who try to bring you under Judaism or, you know, regulations or trying to keep Sabbath. These are a mere shadow in the verse before, verse 17, he said. These are a mere shadow which Christ is now the substance of and manifested. Why are you worshiping a picture? And not holding the head, capital H, Jesus, from which all the body by joints and bands having nourishment, divine nourishment, ministered and knit together increases with the increase of God. 
You can't increase as an individual or as a body in the increase of God unless God himself, even the Son of God, is being elevated, the head of the church. And it's only then that when we're worshiping him in the spirit and the truth, that virtue from heaven, that nourishment is ministered from heaven by the Lord. He's not going to dispense his grace and his blessings on those that are worshiping a man, an idol shepherd, I-D-O-L, idol shepherd, Zechariah 11, 17 speaks of. And then right after that in Colossians 2, we read, if ye then be risen with Christ, are you risen with Christ? Hello. Seek those things which are above, not the earthly ordinances, folks. Jesus is at the right hand of the Father now. Get a clue, man. Read the book of what? Hebrews. Get it? Get Read the book of Hebrews and pray and get a new revelation of what's happened 2,000 years ago. Hallelujah. It's glorious. It's beautiful. Sex your affection on the one who's at the right hand of the Father, make an intercession for you. The one who overcame all things and can cause you to overcome, but only if you trust him and you look to him and you put your faith in him, not something that merely pointed to him way back. That's just like this, okay? You drive into somebody's house. You can't wait to get there. You don't know how to get there. It's your first time there. And then they've got signs all the way there telling you how to get there. And you stop a block before you get to your friend's house that you drove hours to get to, and you're holding on to and hugging the sign. Are you an idiot or what? You're going to hug the sign? Your friend comes out in the front yard. He's looking down the street at you hugging the stupid sign. And he's like, got his hands in the air like, what? What do you think God's doing with people that are hugging the signs and the shadows instead of him? Come on, wake up, man. The Old Testament was nailed to the cross. Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth, puts their trust in him. It's over, baby. Signed, sealed, delivered. The end. Get it? That's a biblical term. The end, the end, the end. It's over, over, over. Romans 10.4, memorize it. Christ, who? Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. You put your faith in Christ, who is all in all, and the law is over. Otherwise, you're under the law. And by the way, friend, if you're under the law and you break one point in the law. You've broken it all. James 2, 9 and 10. You're done, baby. If you're going to keep the Sabbath, make sure you keep Thursday Sabbaths. Make sure you keep all the Sabbaths. Oh yeah, you better get in the Old Testament. Dig them all out. Better get in all the washings, all the fastings, and all this stuff, man. Might as well start sacrificing animals. You're denying Christ anyway. You're denying that his sacrifice was enough. The Lamb of God who said, it is finished. It's paid in full because he was the final sacrifice. Why? Because he is the absolute, infinite, perfect sacrifice. And if you don't realize that, you don't have a clue and you need to get saved. And God's calling you to repent and put your trust in Jesus Christ and forsake anything that draws you away from him, pretending to be of God because they use scripture and they corrupt the word of God. They misuse it. They need to know what they say nor whereof they affirm, is what Paul said in 1 Timothy chapter 1. Galatians 3:24 Wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ that we might be justified by faith. Oh, the law had a purpose, but what was it the purpose of the law? To bring us to who? To Christ, man. Folks, you're in the bosom of Christ, who's in the bosom of the Father, the scripture tells us. Set your affection on things above, not on the things of the earth, where Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father, Colossians 3. And then it says, For you are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. Who? Who's going to appear with him in glory? Those that have their affection set on Christ, not the law, not the ordinances. 25. But after that faith is come, we are no longer under a schoolmaster. Uh-oh. Whoa, man. There, there's another scripture that tells us the Old Testament with schoolmaster that merely brought us to Christ. We're no longer under it. If what? Verse 25 of Galatians 3? But after that faith is come, we are no longer under a schoolmaster. Okay, so you got faith in Christ, and therefore his righteousness, which is perfect before the Father, is now accounted to your account. It's imputed to you, we read in the fourth chapter of Romans. Isn't that a blessing? First Corinthians one uh, thirty. But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Amen. That according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. Glory in who? In the Lord. Oh, not in the ordinance of the law, but in the Lord himself, that of which those things were a mere shadow that pointed to him. Now, what were you reading earlier in 1 Corinthians 3.11? For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Read that again. For other foundation can no man lay than that 
is late, which is Jesus Christ. Amen. First Timothy 1.17, Now unto the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Beloved, that's why we're created, to give glory to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God. To Him be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen? Praise God. All right, now, Ephesians 2.15, Having abolished in His flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contain in ordinances for to make in himself of twain one new man so making peace. Amen. Amen. He made one body. There's only one body in Christ made up of Jews and Gentiles and the real Jew according to what we read earlier Romans 2 28-29 is the person whose heart has been transformed by God circumcised by God by God by the Spirit of God and not somebody that's trying to keep ordinances or not trusting in Christ but trusting in something else anything else. Now what I want to do is read the last part of the third chapter of Romans. Fascinating passage. I love it. It's so rich. Romans chapter 3. We're going to begin reading in verse 21 about the righteousness of God and how it is imparted and received. But now the righteousness of God without the law. Wait, read that again. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested. It's manifested. Christ has come. He is a righteousness. What does it say in 2 Corinthians 5 21? Who hath made him. God hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Oh, so the law witnessed to this Savior. Isaiah 53 comes to mind. Even the righteousness of God which is by faith of Jesus Christ. Oh, it comes by faith in Jesus Christ. Unto all and upon all them that believe. Oh, that believes. For there is no difference between Jew and Greek. Then what? For all have sinned and come short. So all Jews and Greeks need him. That's what he's saying. All Jews and Gentiles. I'm sorry. Need or need. We've all sinned. We're in need of this great Savior and this great salvation. And how does it come? By faith. Verse 24. Being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in His blood, to declare His righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God, to declare, I say, at this time His righteousness, that He might be just and the justifier of Him which believeth in Jesus. Whereas boasting then, it is excluded by what law? Of works? Nay, but by the law of faith. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the oh, law. Read that again, verse 28. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. See, Paul is combating those who believe they can be saved by works. Now, believe, we're told here in this passage, in the end of Romans 3, to believe on the one who is the only one who ever fulfilled the law perfectly and then died to get rid of it. If you don't understand that, you don't even understand the elementary truth and elementary truth, the foundational truth of New Testament Christianity. God justifies men on the basis of the one sacrifice from the one Savior and not by law keeping. When you put your trust in Christ and what he did for you, you're totally justified by God and in his family. Otherwise, you're not. You're not justified and you're not part of his family. Is he the God, verse 29, of the Jews only? Is he not also of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also. Seeing it is one God which shall justify the circumcision by faith. I mean, wait, the Jews got to be justified how? By faith, not by the law, and uncircumcision through faith. The Jews and the Gentiles, that's the circumcision and the uncircumcision. In the last verse there, do we then make void the law through faith? God forbid, yea, we establish the law by faith. What does that mean? Well, I believe we got the fur- a furtherance, an unveiling, further unveiling of that revelation in the eighth chapter of Romans here. We establish the law. How do we establish the law? Well, look at Romans 8. This is a very important passage. Chapter 8, verse 2 through 4. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus that made me free from the law of sin and death. See, there's a law that has superseded and obliterated the law of sin and death, which was the Mosaic law, the law given by Moses. What did it do? It didn't enable us to fulfill it. It just showed us how wicked we are. Amen. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. Amen. I love that. The law of the spirit of life. Jesus is the life, man. You put your trust in him. You're going to have the life in you, man. He lighteth every man that cometh into the world. Amen. John 1. Hath made me free. Hello, you're free from the law of sin and death. If you're in Christ, you have him who is the life and you're free from the law of sin and death. You're free from trying to be justified by law keeping. Verse 3, for what the law could not do. Somebody listen and rejoice.
points with me that the law was inferior and praise God has been done away with for righteousness, for what the law could not do. It was a temporal measure. It was a schoolmaster to bring us to the one who is perfect. Amen. The law made nothing perfect. We read earlier in Hebrews 7, 19. So Romans 8, 3, for what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us. How? To walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit, that the righteousness of the law, the law demanded righteousness, but it didn't give you the ability to fulfill it. You didn't have the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus and you weren't filled with the spirit of God. You weren't transformed. You weren't made a new creature. You weren't circumcised of a stony heart and given a heart of flesh. But now you are. Hallelujah. So now, instead of carrying phylacteries around and wearing long robes and trying to, you know, fulfill the law in your flesh, you've been saved by Christ, the testator of the New Testament, and filled with his spirit and given the ability by the divine power of the Holy Ghost in you to please God in all things. You see, so the law, the righteousness that the law demanded is now fulfilled in you. Why? Because if you're walking in the spirit, you're not lying. You're not adulterating. You're not living in sin. You're not cheating. You're not deceiving. You're not coveting. You're not committing adultery or idolatry or thievery. Why? Because you're walking in the Holy Ghost. You're empowered by the Holy Spirit. When you think the wrong thing or whatever, then you catch it and you, you know, cast down that imagination, repent and say, Lord, cleanse me, change me. And you cry out to God and the Holy Spirit quickens you into righteousness and gives you that enabling power. In the same chapter, we read in verse 13, for if you live after the flesh, you shall die. See, Christians can still go back after the flesh. But if ye through the Spirit, through the Holy Ghost, do mortify the deed of the body, you shall live. It's by the power of the Holy Spirit that we're able to mortify the deeds of the body and have life, continue to have life in Christ. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Who are the sons of God? Those that are led by the Spirit of God, and they're not committing habitual sin. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. That's Daddy, Father. This speaks of relationship. Jesus came and died so that we could know him and the Father and have the communion of the Holy Ghost. John 17, 3. Verse 16, Romans 8. The Spirit itself beareth witness. The Holy Spirit beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together with him. Amen. Praise God. God bless you, friend. Feel free to avail yourself to safeguardyoursoul.com. Well, brothers and sisters, it's been a blessing to spend these moments with you in the Word of God. And remember, there's hundreds of more Christ-centered, scripture-rich, edifying podcasts on safeguardyoursoul.com forward slash audios. There's also a store page with several many books on there for your edification in Christ. They're all scripture-rich and Christ-centered. Also, tens of thousands of saints and sinners are being reached every month, and you're prayers are coveted for the fruitfulness and supply of this outreach. God be praised, by the way, for those who are supporting. And feel free to visit our donate page on the site. And you can use your debit card, PayPal, or Patreon. And you can become a monthly sustaining member if you choose to do so. And a gift of any amount is so appreciated. Part of this outreach is to equip and supply other ministering disciples across our great country and all over the world. And may God be praised that there's fruitfulness happening among his people and through his beloved saints as we know that the return of our Lord Jesus Christ draws nigh. And we say together in the words of Revelation 22, even so, come Lord Jesus. Amen.